Hey gardeners, it's Misty here. I have not done a garden update in quite a while and I've been meaning to put out a couple of episodes, solo episodes, focused on a few different topics. I was going to do a botanical wrap-up from our trip to the Panhandle of Florida, the Apalachicola area in March. Um, I have not done that. <laughs> And then I was going to do a botanical wrap-up from a trip we did to East Texas and Angelina National Forest a few weeks ago. And I have not done that either. And then I was going to work on kind of a rebuttal to something I read in a magazine. Um, I'm, still, still, I'm still planning on doing the, all of those and that one. Um, the rebuttal was about pollinator plants uh, in gardens and kind of me wanting to talk about kind of how lazy we are <laughs> with recommending plants that I don't know I think we can do better about recommending our plants and anyway I will delve into that when I actually talk about that topic but I have three three topics I want to talk about eventually and I just have not got into them because I'm busy there's a lot of things going on with my life right now and um, sometimes when I think about doing those topics, I'm just tired. I don't do it. <laughs> Plus, gardening is ramping up again now that it's spring. So I spend a lot of time in the evenings doing garden stuff and life stuff. And um, yeah, so the podcast on that aspect has taken a bit of a back burner. Um, I do have one more interview lined up. Um, and I may line up one more before I try to do those other three episodes and then I think I'm going to call it a break for the summer after that and I may or may not even get to those episodes I may record them this summer and, and put them out in the fall we'll see but I am just letting you know that I am going to think about taking a break here for a few months in the summer which I, I have typically done with this podcast um, not always like I think 2020 when I did my summer garden journals or, or my was it not summer garden journals it was the uh, quarantine chronicles and I'm going to um, yeah take a break <laughs> it's always good to take a break reinvigorate yourself come up with some new ideas look at some people to interview and and get going like that but I thought I would take today to talk about what's going on in the spring garden and I think you could probably hear some nature around I'm laying in my hammock enjoying my lunch break, but there's also someone with an air blower, an air blower, a leaf blower, a few houses down, so I don't know if the audio will pick that up. And that'll be annoying, I'm sure, to a lot of people. But it's a gorgeous day. We had a cool front come through the other day, bring actual some rain. Um, I think a lot of folks are dealing with drought-ish conditions. It's not unusual. Um, so just for Texas, uh, I've seen people talking about it all over the West and in the Midwest. Um, it's been a weird year, and I've also noticed people talking about how behind things seem to be. And I'm glad it's not just us. I can look back at pictures, the glory of pictures, <laughs> and see how things were in past years. And things are definitely behind. Um, maybe catching up a little bit now, but spring was late. and. Um, it wasn't just me noticing that. Some folks think, at least in Texas, we have a couple theories. Uh, obviously, drought-like conditions, not enough, not as much rain as we normally have over winter. 
We also had, you know, summer-like temperatures well into December. Uh, me personally, I didn't get a freeze until January 2nd. Um, so, you know, did that screw things up? But I've had late freezes like that before, and then we've had spring come normally, um, even <laughs> somewhat early um, in February before. So I, I don't know what's going on, and I don't think anybody was... Nobody's really going to know until you can look back in hindsight in a few years and, and measure it over time. Um, is it climate change or is it just uh, a weird blip? Who knows? But I think that goes to say that it's always important to document whether you're just making notes in a journal, which I'm not very good about, or whether you're podcasting about it, which I'm much better about, or blogging, which I'm also much better about, and just taking pictures and sharing that, or you know maybe just your social media feeds. It's always helpful, you know, when, you know, I'm not on Facebook, but when Facebook memories would pop up, you see people sharing, oh, that such and such happened, or you flip through your Instagram and realize where things were certain points of the year, four years ago versus now. So always helpful to be documenting what's going on around you, whether it's just your garden or the natural world. So in my garden, what's going on right now is... So I had Pinstem and Lexiflorus. It was blooming and in a little bed I created in our edible garden. I took my husband and I divided up our six garden beds that we just rebuilt and he took three, I took three, and I've converted one of them into a native plant bed. Mostly because some of these plants are plants I cannot grow in my actual flower garden because of the deer. And you know, it always makes me sad that I can't grow what I want to grow and I've also come to the realization that I also just, there's certain things I want to grow in the edible garden and I really just don't care about the rest. And coming to terms with, hey, I grow all these greens in the winter time. I don't actually eat that much. We don't eat that much as a family and my husband doesn't eat that much. Um, my son definitely does not eat anything green um, unless it's a banana or strawberry <laughs> and those are not green, but um, so it just seems wasteful. So why not just convert one of those beds into something I do like, and that's flowers, and grow that. And I'm also growing zinnias in that bed this year because at first I was gonna only do half that bed of, of native plants, but as I've come to realize, I'm just gonna convert the whole thing. So the zinnia's already planted. Um, I'm working around that right now and interplanting some other natives to kind of root and take hold into the next year. I'm sure this is gonna be a big learning experience, what's gonna take over and it's a small space. I mean, it's a typical edible garden bed size. So, you know, I'm trying to layer in things that bloom different times of the year, but also, you know, realizing that things are gonna to go to seed and I don't want a thousand, I don't need more pen stemming for next year to reseed. So I'm gonna to have to make sure I cut seeds off. I had salvia lorata and that reseeds very easily um, so it was a great early spring bloom but now it was all going to seeds so I broke all the seed heads off I don't I don't need more of that in that bed or I will have a whole bed of salvia lorata um, so that's fine just having to maintain that a little bit and think a little bit about what I let go to seed and what I don't um, uh, so that's been ex exciting we're also finally getting to the perimeter beds in the edible garden um, we're building them differently than we built um, the other beds so if you haven't listened to any of my episodes for some reason maybe you're new 
we um, originally had cedar beds out there. They've all rotted. They've been eight years old. They look terrible. So we're replacing everything with concrete. Um, and so we poured beds, the six beds last fall of 2021. And they're great. We love them. Um, now doing the perimeter beds, excuse me, up against a deer fence is a little bit different. So my husband actually is pouring sections. Um, I found someone on YouTube, I believe. I can see if I can put a link up uh, to that on the show notes for this episode. And he's doing all the sections and then rebarring them in to join them together. And so he has enough to do one end. This is the two short ends of the fence are wider beds, if that makes sense. And then the long ends of the fence are thinner, smaller beds. They're long, but they're just not as deep. But the, the ends that are short are wider. And probably, they're probably about four feet deep, I would think. Um, and, um, or wide. And they're going to be taller, which means deeper in that direction. Excuse the rambling of the dimensions here. And so we almost have that done. The next step would be filling it with soil. And then we had to move, we're moving our blackberries from one end to this end. And we're going to put strawberries and reinvigorate the strawberries. I don't know if we're going to do anything else. If we're going to do only strawberries with blackberries situation. If we can do something else in the layering there. We haven't got that far into this yet. So that's that one end. The other end of the bed, we're going to make a, the other end where the blackberries were, we're going to make into a bog, a bog garden. And we've been talking about this a little bit on and off for years. And I, the Houston Zoo used to have an elevated bog garden in, uh, I'm trying to describe the area for Houston people, but I'm not even going to bother because it doesn't matter. They don't have that anymore, but it was a really cool elevated bog garden. And it was an idea of ours. Like, we could do that here. And eventually we decided, well, you know what? Let's just, like, again, we don't grow as much edible things as we should. So why don't we just convert <laughs> this bed to something we know we'll enjoy and let's do bog gardening. So my husband has been researching all of that. And so we ended up putting in, because bogs are low nutrient um, areas. They, and they rely on rainwater typically for their water, the situation. And, um, so we have, we put in a rain, rain barrel and my husband and our coworker ended up digging a pipe from the rain barrel all the way out there, which my husband had already dug a pipe out to the garden for the general well water, um, watering situation. So we had to dig another pipe for that's going to be feeding water from this rain barrel to the bog garden when we we need to water it because uh, you could use well water but there's almost too much nutrients in that and you definitely don't want to use city water because of the chlorine and all of that you'll end up ruining your bog and killing your plants um so and which means we also have to put in different um medium for the plants to grow in which means Unfortunately, sphagnum moss uh, or peat moss, I believe, which is obviously problematic and, and it does feel a little weird having to put peat moss in there <laughs> when you're digging a peat box to create a bog. Yes, I, I, I'm, I have trouble dealing with that. 
ethically when we're already trying to find, you know, everybody's trying to source potting soils that don't have peat in it. Anyway, um, yeah, so that that's a conundrum, but we're also having to put in, um, there's other elements that'll have to go into that as we create the bog, but my husband, we've already bought, well, me, not really. My husband is the one who's bought a lot of the bog plants already. Luckily, a lot of, there's a lot of people already breeding bog, especially Saracenias, your pitcher plants. Everybody, there's plenty of people already breeding all sorts of different pitcher plants, so you're not having to worry about anything coming, being poached from the wild. Um, and there's also, you know, Drosera's, your sundews, and looking at those, there's plenty of those in cultivation as well. What's harder to find are all the supporting plants, the herbaceous or maybe even smaller shrub plants. That's a lot harder to find. Luckily, there are people out there, and we're not obviously doing regionally specific bog, you know, what East Texas bog situation, because <laughs> again, you would have a hard time finding all of those East Texas plants in cultivation. So we're kind of picking a lot, mostly, you know, just a wide variety from of, of plants that occur throughout the South and Eastern US. Um, and just kind of trying to do the best we can. And if we come across people with seeds or plants later on, um, we'll add those in. And um, so he's been buying plants. They're all in these little kitty tubs, kitty pools in, in the garden right now and um, waiting the time that we can build that bog. And that's, that's next on the agenda is getting that bog built. Um, again, my husband's been doing most of that research for that. And we'll see, we'll see how that goes. It's a nice plane coming by, apologies for that. So elsewhere in the garden, <laughs> um, I guess the big thing right now is I had a ton of pipe vine swallowtail caterpillars um, I primarily grow Aristolochia fimbriata, and um, we have Aristolochia watsonii, which is a native. Fimbriata is not native. Watsonii, well, when I say native, I mean native to the United States or North America. Um, watsonii is more native to, I think there's some areas maybe in West Texas, but it's mostly in Arizona, possibly New Mexico uh, species that actually does really well in our dry bed and the ants have spread it over time. So it's actually really cool. The, the pipe vines ate it down last year and it recovered. This year there's a ton of it. For some reason, luckily, the pipe vine adult mother did not, or mothers, did not lay eggs on it this year. They covered an egg bombed our fimbriata though. And I don't know, I, I just estimated 60 to 80 caterpillars um, in various instars. Uh, last weekend it was insane all my fimbriata is eaten now I'm I know we we did see birds picking off on the caterpillars which is frankly fine by me and you've got to feed your babies that's what caterpillars are for right um I know a lot of people get it bit on a shape about wasps and other birds and things eating caterpillars but that's just that's the life cycle um, and I certainly had too many caterpillars to be supporting, so that was fine by me if, if some got eaten. And I've so far I've counted about 15 caterpillars that have gone off to pupate on our house. Um, I actually got to watch one. I've, I've watched monarchs pupate. Um, it's really cool, but I've never caught a pipe vine pupating. And so I did catch that one, um, and I took a video and I made it 
uh, put it on Instagram and I'll share it on the show notes for this website as well um, for this episode. And um, so that was really that was really exciting. I don't know whomever is out there is, is out there. I'm, I think a few found the Watsonii. We'll see how that handles it. And um, so that's been the most exciting thing animal wise, I think, in, in the yard. And flower bed wise, I'm still kind of getting on top of weeding as always and mulching and getting onto that. I'm very glad that my woodland bed that last year I put in a lot of sedges that grew naturally around here um, into that bed, which kept some winter interest uh, in the bleak months of January and February. So there was some greenery out there. I am very glad about that, that I did that and it helped and the deer don't eat that. So it looks neat. And so they were all flowering. All the sedges were flowering in the last month. It looked really nice. And I, I'm very glad to be doing that woodland bed. And that woodland bed is not totally native. I have several non-native plants in there. Some non-native salvias, not butylon. Um, I couldn't tell you there's a few other things there's some like leftover um, creeping thyme that I had that's somehow still surviving um, but I am slowly kind of converting that to more native and I just call it my woodland bed because it's not purely a native bed and I'm I'm trying to I ordered some iris cristata from and that's not native to Texas um, to try to maybe establish some of that in there again we'll see how the deer handle that um, it's mostly a game of seeing what will grow, what the deer won't eat, and trying to uh, make it interesting. And I'm doing the same with some other beds. Um, again, just trying to see what I can grow and keep the deer off of. And uh, it's just a game of trial and error, honestly. And, and, and kind of like what I mentioned, I, I, I enjoy growing edible plants. Our tomatoes are doing well. I, tomatoes are definitely my favorite enjoy growing green beans and cucumbers and I like having our blackberries but I just I don't care about trying to zone push um, edible plants that won't handle our summers or or whatnot and I don't care about growing yeah I could grow Malabar spinach I've grown it before but I don't like the taste of it <laughs> um, I love my okra I definitely grow that Roselle some herbs but I just the intensity that some people get into with edible gardening and there's no offense I appreciate the people put in all that effort I just don't have the energy or time or desire to do all of that preservation and you know I could basically let me preserve the tomatoes I can do that we can blanch some beans and freeze those you know my husband likes to do carrots I don't I like to do a little bit for some fresh carrots but he wants to do with all of that cool he likes to grow snap peas I don't particularly care for them that much but sure we have some for eating in the winter or later um but again I I what do it's basically deciding what do I care enough about to grow and not worrying about the rest and finally also just acknowledging that I prefer to grow flowers <laughs> I would rather be growing flowers if I could convert my whole edible garden to just flowers I would but I'd have to negotiate that with my husband and that's not going to happen because he likes to grow edible plants. But of course, I, I like to grow tomatoes too. So I think that's the important thing with gardening is realizing what's what's in it for you, what you're willing to deal with and just where your life circumstances are. And I know 10 years ago, me is much different than current me. 
And Kermie says, less edible stuff, more plants and flowers. Um, so that's about where I am with the garden these days. And really, I'm still trying to get into learning more about some textural, bleh, <laughs> excuse me there, some Texas natural history and conservationists. Because on the surface, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of people that there's a lot of that going on in Texas, but in reality, I'm learning, you dig a little bit, there is a rich, rich um, history of <laughs> conservation and people fighting for our natural areas here in Texas. You just don't get talked talked about a lot, and um, I'm trying to learn about those folks, and, and maybe eventually that's something I will branch out to into next season is, you know, interviewing the folks that are still alive, many of these folks are, are have passed on in the last uh, 10 to 20 years and or, you know, trying to uh, interview some of the folks that are adjacent, that were adjacent to them that are still alive. Um, just to, I don't know, I feel like the state needs some reinvigoration uh, on the conservation end. And I know there are people out trying to do that. There's the new movie coming out, uh, Deep in the Heart. Uh, about Texas uh, conservation. Uh, I think it's coming out in June. Just saw a preview. If you can look at that, you can search for that uh, deep in the heart uh, on Instagram. And I'll put, the, put that link in the show notes as well. Um, I believe it's being narrated by Matthew McConaughey, which frankly is a better use of his time than running for governor. <laughs> and um, so I am excited to see where maybe we can move forward um, on some Texas conservation issues and getting people more interested in nature in Texas. So thinking about all of that, lots to go around on that. So thank you for listening to this little rambling update on my lunch hour. I'm going to enjoy a few more minutes here in the hammock before I go inside and forage for some lunch and um, uh, go back to work. And hopefully soon I will have uh, a couple more interviews and uh, that pause for the summer. All right. As always, thanks for listening. And you can find the show notes at thegardenpathpodcast.com. And happy gardening.